Thanks for listening to the Benefits Breakdown. Stay tuned until the end of our next episode titled New and Innovative Ideas in Employee Benefits to receive a code for SHRM credit. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Benefits Breakdown here with Vanessa Longnecker and my co-hosts. Hey, it's Jared Boca with you. Hi everybody, Adam Compton, excited to uh, to be here today. We are super pumped to have a special guest with us today, Scott Horton of Delta Concepts and Consulting, owner and founder and uh, fabulous connoisseur of all things diversity, equity, and inclusion, leadership training, and I've had the great pleasure of participating with Scott and his team in recent months here within our very own walls at Brown and Brown on our diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, training. So excited about this topic. It's certainly one we're hearing a lot about and certainly not trying to overkill what you're already hearing in the marketplace, but I think Scott brings a very unique spin to how employers leaders can look at this very topic within their own walls and day-to-day. So, Scott, we'd love to kick things off today talking a little bit about what is diversity and inclusion in your eyes? It's one that we have a tough time, many employers wrapping their arms around how to focus in on where to start, right, within their very own organization alike. Well, thanks a lot. This is thanks a lot to all of you and for the invitation. And this is a beautiful, natural, wonderful step that has evolved from a really fantastic relationship that my group has had with your organization, Brown & Brown. So I could talk about that forever, but you've just given a facilitator, consultant, and trainer space to talk about what I love the most. And that is this um, ever-evolving conversation around people, culture, and systems. So you used, uh, Vanessa, diversity equity inclusion, if we kind of, I have a feeling that got framed DEI because the the chronological progression of that in the United States anyway has been D-I-E and that spells die and nobody wants to use, you know, a horrible word like die, oh, but that is, that, is the, that is the appropriate way for me to approach that because I, I got started, I worked in higher education for 10 years with um, doing leadership development education for college students. And then I, longer story for another time, I engineered a, a, a career transformation over into corporate training and landed a gig at IBM in the, in the early 90s when they were beginning. A lot of progressive companies were beginning their conversations around the changing workforce. So the word diversity, we can't find it in a U.S. business publication prior to 1991 uh, applying to the workforce. Of course, we can find it regarding a stock portfolio or the animal <laughs> kingdom. Of course, it's a word we all are familiar with, but it wasn't applied to people until 91 in an article in the Harvard Business Review. So that those early stages, uh, I'll stay out of the weeds and just kind of give you high level, but diversity is the easiest of the three concepts because it's the variety that exists among two or more people. So diversity shows up when people show up. Um, even if those people look alike, talk alike, have the same uh, 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 birth year. There's always diversity when you have people in a room, around a table, on a team, serving customers, 
um, it, it's a plural concept and it, 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 it is analogous to people. There's a term that we should put into the mix because what happened in the 90s, the late 80s and 90s that caused these conversations to be necessary is that there had been legislation passed the Civil Rights Act, Affirmative Action, the Equal Employment Opportunity Act. And there was a dream that if we pass laws that say stop discriminating, that we would stop discriminating and we would have a wide variety of people suddenly in the workforce. But that did not happen. Um, women and people of color who had been legally excluded for decades and decades and decades didn't suddenly come into our workforces and create a diverse workforce. So we were um, teaching people in the 90s how to get along. And that was what diversity training was in the 90s. It was how, how can we get along? Because there were more women and people of color than there had been in the past. Around 2000, this word inclusion was um, introduced into the, into the field that I, I'm a part of. And now we started looking at culture. So the inclusion is analogous to culture. Diversity is analogous to people. And inclusion became a conversation that said most of our organizations were built for, designed for, to work effectively for white guys. That, that my dad's IBM is very different than today's IBM. He, I've seen pictures of him with his training class. It was all white guys in blue suits and wingtips. And so those systems were created by his people to benefit his people unknowingly. They weren't designed to work against other people, but we recognized around 2000 that um, people's behavior and the culture that existed in the organization needed to work effectively for everybody. So we started looking at what are the behaviors that leaders should be exhibiting to create an environment where everyone, no matter who they are, can show up and do their best work. So inclusion is about day-to-day -day behavior, how we make people feel like they belong or the opposite, feel like they're on the edges. Insider-outsider is a frequent concept with inclusion. Jocko, I'm doing a podcast, so you need to. <laughs> you, and I, and we don't kennel. Just in this wants house, to belong. If, if just he wants to be included. Exactly right. I'm like, making him feel you. like an insider right now. <laughs> and, and then the other term, equity, that you tossed in there, Vanessa, is really around, um, specifically around last summer in your city of Minneapolis, George Floyd, here in Georgia, where I am, Ahmet Aubrey was gunned down on a street while jogging. Uh, Brianna Taylor was um, murdered in her own home by mistaken identity. So we all know those people, but the conversation became a lot bigger to say, what is it about our country that has um, things kind of baked into systems and practices that are unfair to certain populations? And what do we need to do to make systems and our country more equitable? And uh, we don't need to get into the weeds of police reform, but that was one system in our culture that was put on the table to look at equity. So that's probably a more long-winded answer, but diversity is people, inclusion is culture, and equity is systems. How's that? <laughs> Scott, we're, we're seven minutes in, and I see why Vanessa loved your training so much. I, I, can, I can feel your passion, and I hope everyone out there does as well. One thing that uh, we always try to help our listeners, I guess, engage with is how things apply to them. We have listeners from small organizations to large organizations. And Scott, you work with organizations of all different size and shapes and diversity and inclusion, right? So what are you seeing more successful organizations focus on to start with? What is a good starting point when they're trying to Im implement more of the diversity and inclusion in their organization? Well, thanks a lot. That That's um, 
an easy and not so easy thing to answer because there's no one size fits all. There's, you know, there's every organization we've worked with believes that they're totally unique. And then they tell lots of times, Jared, they tell us the things that they think make them unique. And you can probably guess we're like, well, guess what? We talked to five other companies last yeah. month that said those same unique characteristics. Generally, we we have some of the same needs and, and opportunities. So the, the easy answer to that is to tell you that I made a pivot in 2012, 2013 to solely focus on the field and the topic of unconscious bias. So that, that's the work we're doing with Brown & Brown. It's the work we're doing with all of our clients who tend to be Fortune 500 companies primarily. And that would be the thing I'd share no matter what the size of the organization is to be able to have awareness and conversation that even folks like us who have the best intentions, folks like all of your listeners, if they're, if they're taking the time to listen to a podcast on this topic, they have good intentions, they're open-minded, they want to be better, they want to keep learning. And people with those characteristics also have embedded invisible biases because we're humans who have been living, learning, hearing uh, sitting at the Thanksgiving table as a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old. Some of y'all have kids. We talked about that when we were warming up. And all of those messages about people that are different, about people that are like us, all of them have embedded themselves in the reptilian brain that sits on top of the spinal cord. We teach all of our participants the basics of the neuroscience of diversity and inclusion. And what it would be, what would be helpful for all of your listeners, all of your clients, all of the groups that are listening to this to recognize is that even smart, talented, well-intentioned people are always making fast decisions in the speed of business that have bias embedded in them, bias around race, gender, age, style, what, how people dress, how they groom their physical size, their age, their orientation, all of those things live back in that um, part of the brain and they spit out in a instant, especially when we're stressed, which is all the time in organizations these days. So unless we can have, this is, this is, I think this is why we clicked with your organization because you're smart people, well-intentioned doing work that supports your customers to be able to have the best possible lives and, and futures that they can. And we presented this in a way that people lean in. We don't do training, by the way. I know that word gets used a lot, but we, we do um, experiential workshops. So we create experiences where people lean in and are finally comfortable. And at the end of the workshop, even an hour in, they're comfortable saying, oh my gosh, I have biases that I didn't know I had. And anytime a group of people get to that point, or even a critical mass of people who get to that point, the natural next thing is, what are some techniques, some skills to be able to interrupt the bias? We will not eliminate it. I could talk way more about that, but we can't eliminate our biases. But um, we can go to the inclusion gym and develop some muscle, um, just like EQ. It falls in the same category as emotional intelligence to be able to manage that. So th that's, that's probably where I would land, Jared, that that conversation, I decided is the only conversation I'm going to have with clients to help them achieve their, their new objectives around DEI. Maybe they've been at this for 20 years and they haven't been able to crack the code on people and culture. We think the avenue is to come in through 
understanding and mitigating our invisible biases. So Adam's bald jokes towards me need to stop is what you're saying. Stop that. And well, you know, it depends how it's intent and impact. How does it land for you, Jared? He did that on the, on the, on the, on the, while we were queuing up, he said like straighten your hair, Jared. <laughs> All having a good time. Well, and I think working towards the best outcome too. And I think in a lot of the prep work too, we saw this isn't just to do it because it's the right thing. It's that organizations that are successful in this, in this action create better outcomes by making better decisions, by uh, having faster results, maybe less meetings to get actions done by having this type of culture. And I actually enjoyed, uh, I, I can't, I don't date the video, Scott, but there was a video that you did that I enjoyed this little uh, work through of, of, of pick your top 10 people that are closest to you yeah. and kind of think through who they are. And before you unfold that, while well, you write down your top 10. And I did that in my mind and I, and I, and then I virtually unfolded that and I go, wow, they are, all in some sort of similar, or at least as you got closer to that circle of trust. Um, but that seemed to be eye-opening for me. So in, in kind of, to Jared's point, those actions that employers can do, um, where do they begin? Is it something where, I mean, from working with you directly um, and, or, and or resources that you might even suggest to start with, like how do employers kick off doing something with this? Well, you, maybe you can supply that YouTube um, link to, to, to the, that's one of the modules that we do in every management workshop called the trusted 10. So yeah. maybe that would be a, a starting point because it's concise. It's, you know, it, it kind of tells the story of how our unconscious biases almost always. So Adam, you, you were in really good company. If you were reflecting that the 10 people shared a lot of your own characteristics, that's mm -hmm. the most powerful bias that's in place called affinity bias or like me bias. It's called homophily in the animal, in the, in the animal kingdom, birds of a feather flock together. It's, it's a, it's, it doesn't mean Adam that you're biased against people, not like you. So we, we make that distinction that the affinity bias um, benefits people like you, especially if you're in a leadership role. So that, that video is a great place to start. The thing that you were leading in made me think about, well, there's, there's easily a hundred articles that show the business case for why this is the right thing to do because it supports the business. The two that probably get pegged the most are the McKinsey study around female representation in leadership and its correlation to return on investment. So you could just Google McKinsey study, women on boards, women on senior teams. They, the article is brilliant because it doesn't make a causal connection. There is a, you know, there's the other theory that really progressive companies that are doing a great job in the business put more women on the board and, you know, the business success led to them diversifying their board. The article also talks about how decision-making influences business. The, the other, I always say this is hard for me to promote because I'm a Buckeye from Ohio State, <laughs> but this, this uh, mathematics professor from University of Michigan named, um, I'll have his name, I, I'll have his name, Scott Page, my first name, I was named Scott, Scott, Scott Page wrote a book called The Difference, and it's maybe 10 years old, so in my field that's still very current, and he created algorithms that showed that uh, demographic diversity on teams, so not solely diversity of thought, not 
ENFPs and ISTJs, if your listeners know Myers-Briggs or not, the DISC assessment or some other, you know, or HBDI, the Herman Brain Dominance Indicator, he looked at demographic diversity and its impact on creativity, innovation, and problem solving. And his, his algorithms said you have to have demographic diversity to achieve those three things. Then he went out into the world and replicated the algorithms with actual teams and showed that his algorithms were correct. So that's a leap. You know, that's a leap. If I've been working in a traditional, I went to school in Columbus, Ohio, so I can say Midwestern, a hundred year old corporation that when I walk the halls of the C-suite or the executive team, all the past CEOs are older looking white guys. I've seen this hallway in hundreds of companies. Um, It's a stretch if that culture has been um, over the years, very white male dominated, it, it's, it's a challenge to get those folks in leadership to see having representation at all levels of the company as a business priority. It's not easy to do. The rich get richer. The Procter and Gambles and the Coca-Colas who have incredible representation can cherry pick talent because not traditionally excluded populations want to work where they see themselves. Traditionally excluded populations look at that company in the Midwest that's trying to change things and like, now tell me why I should put my toe into this very, you know, unique culture where I would be one of the only. So no one has accomplished achieving an inclusive culture, no one in 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 the world. So everybody who's on the path is in good company. We're, we're working against eons of, um, wired tribal thinking when we talk about all this in our educational workshops. Um, and so it, it almost goes against the way our, our brain is wired to open up the, the processes to pull other people's perspectives in. And yet we know it's great for business. What in 20 years in, uh, from that first time that you said that diversity was mentioned to now 2021, I mean, we have the accelerator down to the floor, it seems like. It's with 30 years, Adam. 30 just years, 30, right? 30 just years, cracking yeah. your math. So, sorry about that. So we can do ball jokes for Jared and my bad math for, for my, uh, my criticism for today. It came out in 30 years ago. Check my math again. Yeah. But then we go into the future where now, based off some of the situations that you've mentioned, it seems like more cultures are either learning about it and or are putting it out there either through websites or training. Um, I mean, Vanessa, maybe yeah. to your point, like, have you ever gone through that before and in, in up to now? And this might be the first time you've gone through trainings like that. Yeah. I mean, I think where Scott said too, he, he mentioned that no one's doing it perfectly today because I think quite frankly, it's an ever evolving process, right? I mean, we, we recognize that this is an evolution that we all are looking to ensure, right? We, we can be flexible and inviting and create that, right? Um, ideal climate uh, in any given day. So I think, you know, it, it is interesting to hear these studies and, and it's still mind blowing to me. I think even Scott, in one of your, um, uh, sessions. You also touted a, a North Carolina study. I think it got feature even in uh, a Forbes magazine. It may have been, but it was around males that have uh, that are married, for example, two women. women, and that woman works outside the home. They are more 
often going to choose equally between a male or female candidate. So kind of getting back to that circle of trust and who you see in those shoes. Whereas a male that is married to a woman that doesn't work out the side of the home is, has a higher frequency or tendency to hire other males. Mm -hmm. So again, this gets back to that whole circle of trust and that unconscious bias that I think, Scott, you've hit the nail on the head when we think about reframing that unconscious bias and inviting others into that circle of trust or in challenging ourselves to think in new ways, that's where the lens really starts to shift. And that's what I really enjoyed, Scott, about, you know, this workshop that I was fortunate enough to participate in with you. So again, I think it's an evolving process from what you're defining. And, you know, it's not just about DEI on the surface and the, the concept of each of those words independently, but how we look at and how, you know, the lens through which we're looking at things and challenging that in new ways. Well, Vanessa, to build on that, what you were just saying, and something that I think, Scott, you talked about the unconscious bias and the affinity bias. As I've thought, I watched the same YouTube videos that Adam did, and I've tried to think to myself, I'm very much guilty of the affinity bias. How can we start to overcome that affinity bias that I think, to your point, we sat around the dinner table as a six-year-old and started to get that ingrained into our head? How do we move away from that as people? How do we start to open our circle up? Yeah, great question. And the what you did by watching the video and Vanessa by being in the workshop and actually doing the activity in real time is... Again, maybe I I didn't say this clearly, but 80% of all participants of our workshops around the world since 2014, when we started the workshop that we're using with Brown and Brown, 80% of people who do the Trusted 10 activity by a show of hands, let us know that the vast majority of the people in their Trusted 10 share many characteristics with them. We, We have... Maybe Vanessa, you remember on a scale of one to 10, 10 is very diverse. One is very homogenous, Mm non-diverse. Give yourself a score. 80% are down in the low end, four, three, two, one. Low end not being a judgment, just a recognition that the folks on your sheet are a whole lot like you. So the antidote, which is actually most learners, even a senior executive that is looking at this and maybe has five years left in their career, most people are leaning in and asking the question that you just asked, what, what do we do about that? And then we share a, 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 a research study that I was a part of with PricewaterhouseCoopers and IBM and Great Heart Leadership Labs. And it was a, a 2016 study of 20,000 white guy leaders in the U.S. to around their attitudes around this topic, diversity inclusion. And the finding that I found compelling that we always share is that when white guys who are leaders told us that they had a woman at work in their trusted 10, it goes back to Vanessa sharing the University of North Carolina study, they are 30% more likely to actively recruit, mentor, uh, recruit, hire, mentor, and promote women. And whenever the white guy has a trusted confidant who's a person of color, it goes up to 50%, that they're 50% more likely to actively recruit, mentor, and promote people of color. So then the aha is pretty clear. If my trusted 10 looks a whole lot like me, what do I need to do so that in a year, two years, three years, the the, uh, representation of that group has changed? Well, 
if you remember that video, some of you just saw it, right? There's those three layers of relationship. Mm -hmm. I know people at work that aren't white guys. I'm a white guy. If you can't see that, you can't see that on the podcast, but I'm a white guy. I have access to get to know people that aren't exactly like me. How often do I turn to them to say, let's grab a coffee when we're back in the office? How often do I say, hey, can I bounce some ideas off of you? We don't develop comfort and trust with people unless we actively get to know them. And the affinity bias that you mentioned, Jared, is, oh, you went to you went to Ohio State and play golf. So do I. Let's go golfing sometimes. And that tends to create the similarity links that we all find really easy. So lots of the organizations we're working with um, might be a little further down their journey than, than um, Hayes and Brown and Brown and maybe even your clients. But um, big companies like the Home Depot, um, my my friend Sebastian's visiting. He works in San Francisco for a tech company called Asana, and he leads the African-American Employee Resource Group. So any company that's listening in that might have employee groups based on these affinities, attending those sessions is highly encouraged. Um, and, and in all those companies that I work with, they actually are looking for people to learn about different people through these um, you know, networking groups. Um, I could give you a few other ideas, but the main thing is relationship. Nothing changes our biases more than relationship. So get out of our comfort zone, get to know people that are different. And over time, your trusted 10 will change. So will your, your biases that are, that all of our biases that are ingrained in our mind. I think it's eye opening for all of us on this, on this podcast. And I'm sure for those listening, cause, uh, we need to challenge ourselves. And I was reading a piece that you had in your, in your packet from the, from the Brown and Brown training, which was. You know, explore those situations where you feel awkward and uncomfortable around others. We grow when we're outside of our comfort zone. And I think that's a big thing. It's like, it, it's not easy. It's, it's probably easiest to stay within that realm of your trusted 10 and, and not do that. So it's coaching yourself and then coaching your coworkers and your teammates and even your family that you're around every day to, to yes. do the same and build that culture of change. I have a client here in Atlanta, Fortune 100 company, and all senior executives have a, are, they must, it's part of their performance plan. They, they um, have to choose an experience that puts them outside their comfort zone around a diverse population. And one of the executives that I'm friends with chose to go, um, this was prior to COVID, but chose to go to a black church service here in Atlanta as his, as his choice. He can't stop talking about that Sunday. That two and a half hours that he spent in the church on Sunday, he can't stop talking about it. He can't stop talking about the conversations that he had afterwards. He can't stop talking about his preconceptions of what it was and what it actually was. And how can he possibly see African-American colleagues at work the same way? Because he was two and a half hours of his life. And now he, you know, now he feels like he's, he's super hip and inclusive and, you know, he, he says, sometimes I just want to stop a black person at, in the halls and talk to them. I'm like, you might not want to say, hey, you're a black person. I want to talk to you. But he's really well-intended so, or intentioned. So, yeah, that, that is the, the goal. And not everybody wants to do that. You have to feel drawn to do it. So in our, in our education, our biggest hope is that we pull people off the sidelines and get them onto the field. And I'm not a sports guy, but that analogy is pretty good. People on the field all have different roles on the field. You don't all have to be the, you know, the leader or the quarterback. But if you're on the field, you're at least moving your team in the right direction. So I think we do a pretty good job moving people onto the field. Another element I would say, you know, you touched on briefly, but I also, you know, 
it carries with me since that workshop. And it's so basic, but the reality is we are all moving in a super fast paced environment, right? The realities are we're stressed. We, you know, we might not have enough time to sleep. We're multitasking. We're time crunched. We aren't always our best selves. We're making these unconscious decisions day in and day out, minute by minute, right? So the concept of just reminding yourself to slow down, right? Take that time out, maybe to do something that's outside your comfort zone. Um, Again, slowing down because at the end of the day, we're making really important decisions about people, Mm -hmm. right? So that to me really, really resonated. And I think it's just such a simple statement, but such a huge reminder, right? As we're really looking to move the needle and to think, you know, in that perspective, remind yourself to slow down a bit and really try to look at it through these other lenses. Spot, spot on, Vanessa. So gold star for being a really good student of the <laughs> workshop. It's, you got to pay off there. Yes. And if every organization relied on the Vanessas of the world to do the work on their own, I don't think we would move the needle organizationally because we all are over too much on our plate Some people that even went through that workshop with you, Vanessa, might not have gotten the same message because they weren't hearing it through the same filters. They weren't viewing it through the same lenses. So that's why we, we, the consulting in our name, Delta Concepts Consulting, we don't do a ton of consulting, but we offer to all of our clients free consulting if they do, if they do the educational side of things and what free consulting looks like in a, because you shared the individual, the organizational, I'll just give you two, two quick things. Caterpillar Corporation, who was one of our clients when I was at IBM, they understood safety better than almost any client I've ever worked with. I mean, uh, we work with a lot of manufacturing, gas, oil. So it's standard operating procedure in those kind of companies that every meeting begins with a safety briefing. And why does it begin with a safety briefing? It might be about driving in the rain. It might be about when you're walking through the plant. It might be about lightning. I mean, I've heard, I've heard a thousand safety briefings over the years before we do workshops. Why do they do that? It's so that something that is usually taken for granted is moved up to the front of the mind. The more we talk about it, the more it becomes second nature, the more it becomes built into our DNA. So on this long project we did with Caterpillar, they made the decision, standard operating procedure from the top down, that after the safety briefing, every meeting has an inclusion briefing. And those run the gamut from uh, extrovert, introvert, a quick one minute on how to leverage the power of extroverts and introverts. It could be um, something about... um, It could be something about Black Lives Matters last summer. It doesn't matter what it is, but it's moving the conversation from back of mind to front of mind. And the other one I'll give you is, and this is kind of borrowed liberally from a really great book called Inclusion Nudges. The author is Tina Nielsen, T-I-N-N-A, Nielsen, N-I-E-L. I think there's two S's in there. We can find the spelling. I think she's Scandinavian. And that book is all about how do we put a speed bump in those fast paced decisions that we're making every day so that we have a chance of interrupting a biased decision with a, a priming something that's moving the conversation up here instead of up to the front of our mind, instead of from the back of our mind. So a young guy at UPS here in Atlanta who took our class created something that's now standard operating procedure in his division, which is before they talk about talent 
in their world, they call it ready, not ready. So it's succession planning, which is the HR term for who's ready to advance and who needs more development. Um, he did a three slide deck, spent less than one minute on each slide, and he covered three probable biases that will that will probably enter the ready not ready conversation they're getting ready to have gender stereotyping is one they always use because ups is a you know historically trucking company and now before every ready not ready conversation they rotate who does the uh the inclusion nudge and they're seeing that it's just natural part of okay great then when they're in the conversation they go oh wait i might be sliding into one of those um, biases that Justin just went over. So that's when you start to see the momentum going in an organization when it becomes individual and systems practices and the organization. Super awesome. I was just going to say thank you. Like I know we're getting ready to, to to wrap things up and put a bow on it, but listen, I'm a white guy from Utah. <laughs> so diversity and inclusion is something that is a big deal. I live in Dallas now, and but I think that it's something that what we've talked about today has been very, very eye-opening for me personally and how I can do better at this and make improvements within myself and within our organization. So thank you. Thank you, Jared. Yeah. You know, team, I think, you know, ultimately we could talk about this and have fun and go so many different directions. I think, Scott, you really challenge us and organizations and in our day-to-day relationships to think outside of just the traditional systemic forms and response to DEI initiatives and more about, right, how do we truly create that inclusive environment? I want to leave the audience with a quote that you left us with, if that's okay, Scott. It was from Viktor Frankl, and it said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. Love that. Mm-hmm. Loved our time today here with you, Scott, and appreciate you joining us. Look forward to more fun ahead with you and team. Thank you, everybody. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Over and out. We hope to hear and see from you all soon. 